What's up, Heart of the City? Come on, man. You can have a seat. I just love your church. Um, I think sometimes it's important to get a reminder. You have an amazing church here in Coeur d'Alene. Did you know it? Did you know how incredible uh, your worship teams are leading us into the presence of God? Do you know that your hospitality teams just take things to the nines, loving people all the way from the parking lot into this moment? You have the best pastors in the world. I, come on, give it up for J.O. and Radine. Hey! Come on! Honestly, I don't even know where I'd be without them in my life, championing uh, our calling, our character. My wife and I, we are so thankful um, for their leadership, their love, their support, their wisdom, their faith. Uh, you guys mean the world to me. If you didn't know, you've got a little cousin church over in Spokane Valley, and we are so honored to be family. So honored to stand on this platform and get to deliver the word to you on On Mission Weekend. What an honor. Um, I, we moved up here a little over six years ago uh, from the Boise area and got to now live in the beautiful inland Northwest. And man, it was an upgrade, you know what I'm saying? Like, we are so glad to live here. Uh, and I've learned that there are 60, no, excuse me, 76 lakes within a couple hour drive of us here. So it's not just Coeur d'Alene, but we've got some boat people in the, the inland Northwest. We got any boat people in the house? Come on taking the boat out. There's all kinds of different boats. Um, I, I've, I've learned this. There are some boats that are slow moving and some boats that are fast moving. I decided that because we're family, I would share with you the most embarrassing moment of my life. And it, it happened on a boat. So I, I was a youth pastor uh, in Boise for eight years. And uh, we used to take our whole youth staff up to McCall, Idaho, and rent boats and jet skis and go out on the lake and spend the day. We'd spend the morning sessions getting to know Jesus. Then we just play together out on the lake. And I remember one year, uh, my boys, I have three kiddos. The, the boys are the older two. They got to be about five years old and three years old, and they really wanted to go out on the jet ski with dad. But my wife, Jamie, she doesn't like being cold, and she didn't want to go out into the water. So uh, me and one of my sons and uh, one of our youth staff gals kind of held on to my kid, and we slowly putted around the lake like five miles an hour on this jet ski to make sure that he was safe. And Jamie was like, do not go fast because we don't want to hurt this little guy. So we went real slow. Then we put my little three-year-old Hudson on there, and we went five miles an hour and kind of putted around. And then we got to the end of the day, and we were responsible to take the jet skis back to the other side of the lake. And uh, just a few of us were left. And so that same youth staff girl, she's like, are you going to drive a little bit faster this time around? And it was like she challenged my manlyhood right there in the moment. <laughs> Something snapped on the inside of me. Do not do this. This is probably a sin of some kind. But I, I just said, I'll show you fast. And I gunned that thing as fast as we could go. We started climbing, climbing, climbing. All of a sudden, we're 70 kilometers an hour ripping across the lake. And if that was, she's screaming in the back of the jet ski like, ah! 
And I just decided, we'll show you. I started arcing it back and forth, just boom, 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 until I hit another boat's wake and it flipped and it launched us 25, 30 feet in the air. I'm screaming, it's like, ah! And I hit the water with such velocity that literally my swimming trunks exploded into three different parts. I was just screaming and swimming and just like covering and it was awful. It was the worst experience of my life, but it was a thrill. Boat people. Not all boats are like that. My, my dad uh, was a fisherman growing up. He loved to take us out fishing. And he had just this little inflatable raft, no motor. We'd go out in central Oregon and he'd have a plastic oar and we'd, we'd float out into the middle of the lake. And it seemed like we stayed there all day and never caught any fish. Man, it was so boring. It was nothing like the jet ski. And uh, here's what I've learned. Just like every boat is not the same uh, people's mindsets about the church are not the same. As a young adult, I awakened to the fact that the church can be a little bit more like a jet ski. But I, I grew up thinking that it was more like that in, inflatable raft. I grew up thinking it was kind of boring and slow and pointless and not important. And then something happened. Like I had a revelation about what Jesus is building in his church and I gave my life to it and changed me forever. I remember thinking through just some of the crazy things that I've done for the church, for the mission of God, for the expansion of his kingdom. I, I passed up on a six-figure income to become a youth pastor and just scrape by and barely make it. I've paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars to sleep in the worst conditions with cabins full of middle school boys. Come on, you team, let's go. I spent thousands of dollars going to sleep in terrible conditions on the islands of Lake Victoria to reach those that are far away from God and climbed mountains in Nepal to unreached villages and freezed my tail off. Uh, I, I gave up what was safe and secure and a, a safe, wonderful job back in Boise to move up to Spokane where I didn't know anybody except for J.O. and Ray Dean and they already had a church that they loved. So they didn't want to join our church. So we, we had to... We had to scrape up a church out of nothing and just sacrificially uh, plant our lives into Spokane to see what God would do. I, I did it all. I would do it all again. We'll do more in the future. It's all for the local church. I would do anything. I would sacrifice anything, serve any amount just to be involved in the house of God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Jesus, if you're building your church, that's good enough for me. I don't want to build anything else if this is not what you're building. Lord, you said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. If that's what you're building, that's what I'm going to build with my life, Jesus. But like I mentioned, I didn't always live like that. I didn't always think like that. I, I used to just kind of go to church because my parents made me. I would check out and not listen to the message. I just go through the motions. For me now, church is more like the jet ski. But from what I notice in Christian culture across America, I would say that most people are bored with their experience of Christianity. When Jesus talked about the church, I already I quoted the verse, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It's like anything but boring. He's describing this church that's in a battle with conflict, and you can just imagine kicking down the gates of hell 
plundering hell to populate heaven. Like it's exciting and passionate and intense. And I, I wonder if that's the church that you imagine being a part of. I wonder if that's your, your mindset about Christianity or if you're like most of America. Studies would say that, that 90% of Bible-believing Bible Christians never share their faith with anyone outside of their family. 80% of churches in America are in decline. That's a pre-COVID statistic. Uh, only 1% of churches in America actually grow because unchurched people find faith in Jesus and join. So, so mostly we just shuffle Christians around from church to church as they get offended at one church and slide to another and get offended and move to another. I think a lot of that is actually just due to the way that we think about church. It's due to a culturally informed mindset about this gathering we call church instead of a biblical mindset. And I want to introduce to you three different ways today that people think about church. Some people think about church like it's a cruise liner. You put a cruise liner up there for me, media team, come on. Put this boat up, come on. How many of you been on one of these? Let's go. Being on a cruise, those are great for vacations. Some people think about the church like it's a cruise liner full of Christian luxuries for the whole family. Call them pastor, give me my sports team and league, give me my entertainment, give me the best childcare that make my kids laugh, give me my business connections for my networking. People with a cruise liner mentality when it comes to church, they ask this question, can this church improve my religious quality of life? Do I like the music around Hill? Uh, it's getting a little too Hill songy for me. I'm really searching for some Bethel, you know. It's what I want. How about the kids' ministry? Do they educate my kids? Do they disciple them for me? Are the kids having a fun time and laughing and making best friends all while becoming deep followers of Jesus, but I don't have to do any of the work? Does that happen here at this church? Do I like the pastor? I mean, is he funny enough and inviting enough and deep enough and challenging enough and good looking enough and muscular enough like Pastor Jay? Oh, like you see everything that I want. Can I, can I get my knowledge expanded and laugh all the way through it at the same time? And if they ever feel like the service in the cruise liner church isn't good enough on, on this cruise line, well, there's a bunch of other boats in the harbor here in Coeur d'Alene. Right? Like the music is great on the Royal Caribbean, but my kids love the youth group over on Carnival Cruises. And the small group ministry at the Norwegian Cruise Line is amazing. And the celebrity cruises have the greatest preachers. So I'll just podcast all those guys midweek, you know. Just pick and choose the best for the sake of my religious lifestyle. Cruise liner mentality. Today, I felt like the Lord sent me here to challenge you out of thinking of the church like a cruise liner into another mentality. So, some people think of the church more like a battleship, more like a battleship. Now, this is definitely an upgrade. This, this is a church where you, where you understand we are made for mission. 
God wants us to make a difference in the world. This is certainly an upgrade in our thinking away from the cruise liner. In a war, you would definitely rather be on board a battleship than a cruise liner. Amen? Right? People, in the, the way that they think of the church like a battleship is they say things like this. Well, pastor, you're the captain. And you just tell us where the war is and we are behind you 100%. You point out the targets, we will serve and we will give and you aim and you fire and we're with you. We're celebrating every shot that you take as long as you're pointing the gun at the things that align with my heart. Just make sure you pick the right targets. We're with you, we'll serve, we'll tithe. But make sure you... You point that gun at the next generation because that's what I'm really passionate about. Make sure there's some ministries pointed at the pro-life agenda. That's, that's really what I care about. Make sure we're caring for the poor. They have my heart or foster community or political influence in the nation or overseas missions, whatever it would be. I want to support the church as long as they're targeting the passion issues of my heart. You see, the, the battleships, they have a lot of people on board, but there's really just one or two captains that are choosing the target. And people that think of the church like a battleship assume that the programs and the ministries of the church are the primary instruments of mission. If I invite people to the services, they're going to meet Jesus and come to know. If I invite people to small groups, they're going to grow deeper in their faith. If I invite people into growth track, they're going to get connected. If I invite people onto the ministry team, we just think of the programs of the church as the elements of mission. But I'm actually going to challenge you to just let go of that battleship mindset a little bit today and move with me to boat number three. Some people think of the church more like an aircraft carrier. Like battleships, aircraft carriers are important in the battle, but not in the same way. Aircraft carriers exist to equip planes to carry the battle into various locations during warfare. An aircraft carrier doesn't just make really its biggest contribution toward victory by engaging directly in battle or in warfare. In fact, the aircraft carrier is at its best when it's back a ways and isn't fighting at close range. The aircraft carrier's goal is to load up all of the planes on deck and have the planes carry the battle into the camp of the enemy. And the goal for this weekend is actually to shift the way that you think about church and shift the way that you think about your part in the mission of God because this was my assignment. We're on On Mission Weekend. I realize that we all come to this moment from, from different places. Some of you maybe grew up in different kinds of churches and denominations and expressions of the body of Christ. Maybe you grew up a part of a different religion. You really are you know, trying to figure out all of this Christianity stuff, or maybe you've never been to church at all. You're like, what are these crazy people doing? What's this all about? I understand we go, come from so many different backgrounds, but man, it's important that you start to see the church not as a cruise liner and not even as a battleship, but you start to think of the church like an aircraft carrier. Here's what I know. Coeur d'Alene and all of Kootenai County needs transformation. 
There, you guys live in such a beautiful area. It's really common for my wife and I to take the 25-minute drive from Spokane Valley and just walk downtown and look out the lake and just enjoy the wealth and the beauty. But I know underneath the surface, there's more to the story here in Kootenai County. I know about the crime. I've heard some stories just even being with you for a couple days about some of the sad tragedies that have been taking place in the community and broken people doing broken things. I know about the drug abuse, aware of the brokenness in families and the neglect of children and the marriages that are falling apart. I'm aware of the challenges that your community is facing. And can I just get in front of you today as we get ready for election season and just say that the hope for our city is not in a politician. The hope for our city is not in the right political platform. The hope for our city isn't in a perfected education system or a business community that does a certain thing or certain laws or certain issue. Come on, there is only one hope for our city, our state, our nation, and our world, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the hope of transformation. Here's what I love. Jesus has entrusted his message to one community called the church. Therefore, if Jesus is the hope, guess what? You are the hope for Kootenai County, for all of the state of Idaho, for the United States of America, and to the whole world, the church. And when I say that, what I don't want to come to your mind is Heart of the City Church, the organization. When I say the church is the hope of the world, I want you to experience that like, that's me. I've actually been entrusted with the hope of the gospel. My life's been transformed through the power and the presence and the person of Jesus. So therefore, I've got the hope for my city, my family, my county, my workplace. It's me. I want you to stop seeing yourself as just a, a crewman on the battleship called Heart of the City Church. I want to start to envision yourself as one of the planes on the deck of the aircraft carrier. And yet, on these times, on the weekend, Saturday night, Sunday morning, as we gather together, it's like landing on the deck and getting refueled, fired up encouraged and inspired and equipped, loading in all that you'd need to take the battle into the camp of the enemy all around you. There's so much more that God wants to do with your life in this on-mission season, and I so appreciate Pastor J.L.'s heart. He was saying last night, he's a little concerned that in this season of coronavirus that we just have got a little distracted. We need a little reminder, like we're on mission. In a season full of political agenda and argument and things going all kinds of ways in our, in our world, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to start following a narrative on your iPhone and get addicted to social media and kind of just forget Jesus came, lived the perfect life, died the death on the cross we could have never died, and rose again on the third day to live inside of every single one of us and empower us to live on mission with intentionality. No matter what season we're in as a nation, no matter if we're facing a pandemic or we're going through political racial tension, come on, there is a mission that God has in front of us and he died to give it to us. And heaven forbid we get distracted and get into a cruise liner mentality of just trying to make it through. Just feed me, pastor. Take care of me, pastor. Help me, pastor. I know there's times for, for care. 
for love and support and community, but the, the end goal of all of the care and love and support and community is that we would live on an expression of mission, each and every single one of us. Amen. The hope for CDA is Jesus. And the community entrusted with the message of Jesus is the church. And you're not just members on the boat. You're not just crewmen. You're planes that are getting fueled up to bring the battle to the enemy all across the city and rescue people who are hopeless without the gospel. Here's what I know about you. You need times of refueling. You need times where as, as the plane lands and gets refueled on the deck, like you need that because you're in the battle all week long. You've got the pressure and the discouragement and the challenges and the crises and the angry bosses and the crying children and everything that's going on in your world. There's gotta be times where we come and get fueled up by the ever-powerful living word of God. There's, there's times to come and bask in his presence. There's times to be encouraged and get a hug and a high five and some inspiration. You need to get fueled up because we're in the war all week long. The battle doesn't only take place in this room. In fact, primarily the battle takes place in all of your sphere of influence outside these walls. So we gotta come and get fueled. We gotta come and get equipped and inspired, and we need to have such a sense, I am called to live on mission. As we close today, let me give you five reasons we must be a church that goes on mission. Five reasons we must be a church that goes on mission. Here's the first one. It was the command of Christ. This is what he said, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. We heard this in the video. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Notice what he didn't say. Hang out here and they'll come to you. <laughs> Kick back, take it easy, get on the cruise liner. They'll come. Just have quality enough children's ministry. They'll come. Just have great enough worship. They'll come. Just have the best preaching. They'll come. Just get in here and sing your songs louder and they'll, they'll hear of the great glorious sound out there. They'll just be back. That's not what Jesus said. He said, go. He didn't say, wait for them to come to you. He said, take it to them. And here's what I found to be true about my life. My life goes best when I just obey what Jesus said. It's like he's God or something. It's like he thinks he's in charge. He can call the shots. It's, it goes best for me when I agree with Jesus. How do you know that's what he really thought, Danny? Maybe, uh, maybe we're misinterpreting that. Maybe we're not quite getting the full context. Here's number two. It was modeled by the early church. So the guys that walked with Jesus, this, they actually took Jesus' commands at face value and they went and lived it when we see that Jesus ascended into heaven and then they were entrusted with the mission like we are today. Here's what they did. Mark chapter 16, verse 20. And the disciples went everywhere and preached and the Lord worked through them. The disciples didn't just go in one place and worship together. The disciples went everywhere and they preached. And the Lord worked through not just them. He worked through all of them. Acts chapter 8 verse 4. The believers who were scattered, they, they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. 
They took the, the message they'd been entrusted with and they went everywhere preaching the news of Jesus. This was Jesus' plan and the church of the New Testament took him seriously. Which brings us to where we are today and, and I, this is a little bit of a sadder point, but we'll get a happier point as we get to the end of these five, okay? But here, here's the sad thing. The days of most people searching for church are behind us. How many of you guys remember a day in America where the respectable and honorable thing was to go to church on a Sunday morning? Anyone remember those, those days? Like if you were a respectable member of the community, the question was not if you go to the church, the, the question was, what church do you go to? And you were a hair embarrassed if you didn't have an answer for that. Like if you were a good person, you belonged in church, but newsflash, that day passed us a while back. Nowadays, it's, it's not an assumption. People aren't waking up in the morning here in Coeur d'Alene going, I need to find myself a good church. Very few people ask that question. In fact, where I minister just 25 minutes away, We've done a lot of demographic research and in, in Spokane Valley, 18% of our population is gathered in a church on Sunday morning. I, I don't know what it is here in, in uh, Coeur d'Alene, but I know that four out of five people in my community aren't waking up thinking, I gotta find myself a good church. It's kind of like this, like when's the last time you woke up just on a day and thought, I need to find myself a good mosque, wonder if there's a mosque that has great child care. Anyone ever have that thought? No hands? It's, it's exactly how all of the unchurched people in your community, they're not waking up thinking, I gotta go find a good church. It's totally foreign. And if that's the case, then what needs to happen? We can't just wait for them to wake up and have a desire to be here. We have to leave actually have to take this command of Christ that was modeled by the early church. We have to take this wonderful, beautiful, life-transforming gospel message that has been entrusted in our lives and take it out of this building to them where they live, work, and play. If you haven't noticed, most of the community that we're here to reach is not in this room today. And I'm so thankful to be in a room that is packed out with chairs, man, in Spokane. We have lots of social distancing and very few people will come pray for Washington. Come on. But even as I gather here with hundreds of people, I'm just thinking this, this city's got thousands. This county's got tens of thousands. There are so many people. And guess what? God looks down from heaven and his heart aches for his lost sons and daughters that he wants to be as part of his family. He, he wants to be close to them once again. And he's given you the call, the mission, the missionary. He says, go and reach. Leave the 99 to save the one that is lost. And in that place, be like Jesus. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Even given the ministry of reconciliation, heart of the city church. Number four, the presence of God is promised to those who go. Love this. 
Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You wanna know one of the greatest ways to get close to God? Pray, Pastor Danny. Yeah, that's good. You wanna know a great way to get close to God? Worship for hours. That's really good too. But you wanna know one of the greatest ways to get close to God? Go take the message of Jesus to those that don't have him yet. Listen, the priority of God's heart is on his lost sons and daughters. He considers them a part of his family. He longs for reconciliation and he's given you the message of hope. So when you step out and go, when you lift your voice as a witness, when you share about the good news of Jesus and you share, here's what happened in my life. Here's how Jesus changed me. There is something in the heart of God that's like that. That one's on my team. That's who's with me. And the promise of scripture is that his presence comes into your life like never before. Man, I love the passion at heart of the city church to be close to God, give him all of our heart, fill my life completely. Can I just challenge you? If you wanna take your relationship, your intimacy with God to new levels, be somebody that lives on mission. John chapter 20, verse 21 says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. If you've been in church a while, you might think of that as a missionary scripture that we pray over missionaries as when we send them overseas. Uh, But can I just challenge you that the word missionary isn't even in the Bible? It's because the assumption of scripture is that we're all missionaries, that all of us are actually responsible to figure out where has God called me to live on mission, my, my workplace, my school, other nations, in, in, in circles of influence, whatever it would be. Come on, God's got a mission for every single one of us. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. <laughs> Woo! He says, as you go out, I promise to be with you. My presence is gonna go with you. I'll give you the words. I'll open the doors. I'll perform the miracles. I'll do the heavy lifting. This isn't some religious, grinded out legalism. You just go be a witness. A witness is the one that shares their side of the story. Number five, those who go receive the joy of the Lord. Those who go Receive the joy of the Lord. John chapter four. This is such a great, great scripture. John chapter four, verse 36. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit that they harvest is people brought to eternal life. Now check it out. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? If if your Christianity feels dry or boring or routine, or you just find yourself going through the motions, maybe you just need to step back and revisit, when's the last time I actually stepped out and I shared Jesus with somebody else? Can you remember the joy that filled your life when someone shared the gospel with you? Do you remember as the Bible talks about when the veil was taken away and you saw Jesus as he is for the first time? Do you remember how you felt? David prayed, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Like, do you remember it? Remember how it felt to have the weight of sin unloaded from your shoulders? 
Remember the joy of dancing in freedom the first time? Because you're like, I am truly free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You remember. Can I just tell you, the promise of Scripture is that you don't walk in that joy only when you're the one that receives it. The Bible says we walk in that joy when we're the one that brings it. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? And you might be thinking evangelism, living on mission doesn't really sound like joy to me, Pastor Danny. I'm an introvert. I don't know if you knew these things existed, but I'm a little nervous. I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm nervous. I don't know all the right things. I don't know enough of the Bible. What if somebody asks me hard questions? And even bridging this subject nowadays in America makes me so nervous. I break out in hives like, ah, that doesn't sound like joy at all. Can I just tell you, the most simple way to live on mission is just to pay attention to where the Holy Spirit is already moving and just flow with Him. Holy Spirit, what, what are you doing? What are you saying? I just want to join you. You're actually the one sent to draw people to Jesus. You're the ones that are softening heart and changing life. Holy Spirit, help me see who you're reaching. Help me see what you're doing. I understand it could be a little intimidating. I I was thinking about this recently, just this year. I I joined a gym to play basketball. And uh, I love basketball, but I'm terrible at basketball. I'm no good at it, but the, the main reason I joined it is because as a, as a pastor on staff at a church, I have a real hard time building relationship with lost people. Uh, you all that get to work secular jobs, you get to be surrounded by people at work all day long who don't know Jesus. You are so lucky. I am surrounded by Christians. <laughs> so I joined this gym to, to play racquetball and basketball and work out, try to be healthy. But I joined it to be around some folks that don't know Jesus. We started playing basketball with this whole bunch of car dealers. They would all play together, wake up early in the morning, like eight or 10 of them. And uh, me and a couple guys from the church staff, we just infiltrated their little car dealership group. So it's like 15 car dealers and a couple pastors from Sun City. There's one particular guy, he's 65 years old and... um, I admire him because he still plays ball at 65. I want to play ball at 65. And he just had the most vile mouth I'd ever heard though. Like I I was excited to spend more time with some people that didn't know Jesus. Then I'm around this guy. I'm like, whoo, like those jokes and that light, like this is next level loss. This guy, this guy needs Jesus. So we're playing ball and his name is Jeff. One day, one day Jeff doesn't show up to play ball and we're like, where's Jeff? And the rest of the car dealer guys, oh, Jeff had a heart attack. I said, really, is he okay? He's like, yeah, he's in the hospital. They're, they're working to recover. He's, he's gonna be fine. But, you know, we know we're worried about him. And I, I, I gathered all of these car dealer guys. I just said, listen, we're gonna pray for Jeff right now. They're like, yes, sir. <laughs> We, we, we prayed for Jeff with all the car gear, as you know, they're just standing there. Pray for Jeff. God, heal him. God, touch him. And a couple weeks later, Jeff comes back to play basketball. I go, Jeff, man, how's your, how's your heart? I heard you had the, the issue and the heart attack and they had to do some surgery. And like, 
how you doing, man? He goes, thanks, I'm doing so good. He, I go, Jeff, we prayed for you while you were gone. He goes, man, I heard you did that. And this is what he said. It feels so good to be included in the Lord. I just thought about like, there's a whole world that's waiting to be included in the Lord. What you got? Today's a reminder from the Holy Spirit to live on mission, that you've been entrusted with the greatest message on the face of the planet. You've been entrusted with the joy of your salvation, but it isn't meant to stay with you. It's meant to spread here and all around the world by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit.